Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 70. Yehovah does not accept or receive actions that seek to buy our way into his kingdom. That's why Paul is saying his love does not envy, meaning his love does not go in that path of purchasing us because we are deserving and worthy of being purchased. Shalom once again, friends. This is Avi ben Mordechai. Welcome again to Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 70, part number six in our Defining Biblical Love series on the idea of suffering love. Let's go ahead and get into this now. On the last podcast, we were addressing the statement from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, where Paul had written that even though one would bestow all of one's goods to feed the poor or to take care of all those who are suffering, that if he were to even give his body to be consumed or burned up, but if he was doing it strictly for the purposes of piety and not because he had received the love of Jehovah first. If we don't have Jehovah's love, if we haven't received it, it profits me nothing. When Paul said, I give my body to be burned, that it might have a connection in his mind to the idea that was found in the fourth book of the Maccabees, or the Hashmonaim, chapter 5 and chapter 6 concerning Antiochus Epiphanes, there might also be a link to something that Josephus wrote about, that is the Jewish historian Josephus, in his book of the Antiquities, chapter 17, dealing with a whole group of uh, religious Jewish men. There were about 40 of them who had tremendous courage to stand up to the truths that they held so evident. So then in section 164 of chapter 17, in the historical account of King Herod, it says that Herod who was of a barbarous temper, cried out that Judas and Mattityahu had not abstained from affronting him, that they had been so bold as to pull down a golden eagle there on the eastern gate. Josephus writes that Herod had Judas and Mattityahu burned alive, and that very night there was an eclipse of the moon. So we can get a rough idea of when that happened in terms of timing by looking at eclipses that have taken place over the centuries and millennia. So it's historical references to these kinds of things that I think are giving us the understanding as to why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 13.3 that if he were to even bestow all of his goods to feed the poor— that if he were to even give his body to be consumed or burned up, but if he was doing it strictly for the purposes of piety and not because he had received the love of Jehovah first, what would be the purpose for that? 
And you know, Yeshua had spoken about these kinds of ideas in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, or Gehinom, which is the idea of the second death, as it's spoken of in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, that if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good but evil, that in dying you will die. That is the idea of the second death, spoken about all through Scripture, including the New Covenant, in places like Revelation 2.11, Revelation 20, verses 12 through 15, John 5.29, and Daniel 12.2, among many other places, that whole idea of the second death will have no effect on you or I. We could give our body to be burned, but you know what? If we don't have Jehovah's love, if we haven't received it, then we are going to get burned. But if we have his love, we're not going to get burned. We're going to be saved from that wrath of the second death. So, if you were to give your body to be burned, but you do not have that protection from the burning, which is found in the receiving of Messiah Yeshua for the redemption of our souls, then it's going to profit you nothing. And I can understand that, because there are so many people who say, I do not need anyone to die for me. Thank you very much. I can do it myself. Well, let me tell you something. If you give your body, that is, who you are, to the burning of the second death, but you have not received Messiah, you are going to burn. You will not receive the redemption that is promised to all those who believe and trust in Yeshua and become joined to Him, to become a friend to Him. That is Isaiah 53, verse 5. Again, Isaiah 53, verse 5. By his stripes we are healed, which really, in Hebrew, says, by our association or joining or friendship or connection to him, we are healed, we're saved. So, you will burn unless you come through Yeshua. That's the love that you must receive first. And then, upon receiving that love, you are then capable of turning it around and giving it out. Just as Yeshua said, freely you have received, freely give. That's the point that we're making here. Without receiving that love, you get no credit, no profit for that kind of action. You won't get it. Just because you say, well, I'll just go ahead and die Because after all, I can die for myself. I've heard many, many Jews say, we can die for ourselves, we can atone for ourselves, we can cover for our own sins. And my answer to that is, yes, you can. But if you don't have Yeshua, 
you're going to burn because you won't resurrect. Again, I stress, you will not resurrect. Therefore, you have no hope. Only those who come with and through Yeshua, those are the ones permitting Yeshua by accepting Yeshua. You're permitting Him by your acknowledgement to give Himself for you. Therefore, John 3.16 makes perfect sense. For God so loved the world that He gave His unique Son, that whoever would believe in Him will not perish. Just put in there, will not perish in the flames of the second death, but will have eternal life. And that is a true statement. So, if you think you can atone for yourself, if you think you can just die for yourself, I'm going to tell you straight up, you're sadly mistaken. Scripture does not teach that. What it teaches is that you cannot save yourself. And if you try to give your body over to be burned in the flames of the second death, and you think, oh, well, I'll just cover my own judgments. I'll just cover my own sins by my own atonement actions. You will get nothing out of it because you won't be resurrecting because the resurrection is only promised through Yeshua when he went into the second death and he came out of it. So when he came out, he promised that same blessing to me and to you and to everyone else, which is a beautiful idea. So, we think of somebody like the historical Yosef Trumpeldor, who was considered a great Zionist of his day in the early 1900s in the state of Israel. He was born to a Jewish family in the Russian Empire. He learned patriotism and heroism from his father, He was conscripted into the Russian army during the Caucasian War. He was seen as a, quote, a useful Jew by the anti-Semitic Russian Empire. And uh, his father raised his son to be brave like Eleazar and others of the Hashmonaim or the Maccabees. And dropping out of dental school at the time to fight in the Russian-Japanese War of 1904 through 1905, Joseph Trumpledore soon proved his bravery, as historical Judaism would understand it. It was on March 1st of 1920 that hundreds of Shiite Muslims surrounded a place in the northern part of Israel called Tel Chai. Tel Chai. It was one of only four farming Jewish villages at the time there in the Upper Galilee. When the farmers there called for help, Joseph Trumpledore arrived with 20 reinforcements, and they were going to help their brethren. During the resulting firefight, Joseph Trumpledore received gunshot wounds to the hand and the stomach. As his comrades evacuated Trumpledore after the battle, he reportedly said, Never mind. It is good to die for our country. And then he succumbed to his wounds. And so to this day, as a licensed tour guide in Israel, I've taken people over to Tel Chai, and I've told this story many times. And to this day, Yosef Trumpledor stands as an Israeli national hero 
for those on both sides of the political spectrum. And it is said that he inspires the brave men and women of the IDF who risk their lives for the Holy Land. And what I would say is, look, Joseph Trumpledore did, in fact, do something wonderful for the sake of the nation of Israel and the state of Israel that became a state of Israel on November 29th of 1947, and then confirmed once again by David Ben-Gurion on May 14th, 1948. Oh yeah, there's all kinds of history going on in the land of Israel. But I will tell you, concerning Joseph Trumpledore, that statement, it is good to die for our country, it was to him a noble thing to say. And it has, in fact, inspired great bravery and great inspiration to many, many Jews, even to this very day. In the IDF and elsewhere and all around the world, Jews who take this idea and say, yes, it's okay to die for my country. But Paul would beg to differ in 1 Corinthians 13.3, and Yeshua would also beg to differ, saying, even if you were to give your body to be burned, but you have not received the messianic love, the hope of the messianic love, which is he dies for you. Again, he dies for you. If you have not received that, then what does it profit you? It profits you nothing. So this is the key that we need to understand here in this story. And it's this idea that is further elaborated upon in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37. Again, Hebrews 11, 37, talking about faith and those who had trusting faith in Yehovah and in his plan of redemption through the messianic hope, as though weaving a fabric all through the Hebrew scriptures. All those men and women of great faith and trust and hope in Hebrew scripture, it says they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And it goes on to talk about that they never lost hope. Never did they lose hope, saying, of whom the world was not worthy in 1138. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and in all these things have obtained a good testimony through faith, which is receiving of Jehovah's love into you. And they didn't receive the promise. What promise is, is this referring to? This is referring to the resurrection promise. They didn't get the resurrection in their day, and we're waiting for it. And that's why it says in Hebrews eleven forty, God, having provided something better for us, all of us, that they, those people that went through all that stuff, that they should not be made whole and complete and perfect aside or apart from us. 
Isn't that beautiful? We're going to come in through the resurrection together. That's why he says that the dead and Messiah will rise first, then we who were alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet Jehovah in the air, in the heavens. We're going to go together. That's why we understand that when physical death comes calling, we go to sleep. That's what I think. And this is not the only passage that I base this on. We go to sleep. We go unconscious and we wait until the final resurrection happens. And then in that final resurrection state, we're all coming up together all the way from Adam forward through everyone mentioned in the Hebrews chapter 11, faith chapter, and all the way through Yeshua's Talmudim and his disciples, and all the way even to us this very day. Those who die, they go to sleep. And I want you to take comfort in that, friends. We're all coming into the kingdom of heaven together. That's what I believe this passage is teaching us. We're all coming in together, and it's because we have received the love of the truth. So as to be saved, saved from what? Saved from the second death. We have been delivered. We have been saved. Therefore, we learn from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, for when we were still without strength, in due time Messiah died for the ungodly, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. Is there anything in that passage or any other passage that says, hey man, clean yourself up. Hey woman, better get yourself together and clean up because he's not going to love you until you get cleaned up, until you get sparkling clean and you get rid of all that sin and you get rid of all that stuff that's just clinging to you. I don't see anything in scripture that talks about that idea. No. Jehovah wants to die for you, die for me. He wants to have the pleasure of exchanging the life of Messiah for you. And whatever he gives Messiah Yeshua, he wants the pleasure of transferring that to you. That is the truth of Scripture. That's the truth of the gospel. So therefore, once again, Matthew 16, 26 states the following. For what profit is there to a man if he gains the whole world? but he loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man give? Again, what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Well, what will you give? Your blood? No, you're corrupted from the Garden of Eden from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. You can't give anything. You're going to give your life? No, you can't give your life because you can't resurrect outside of Yeshua. What are you going to give? How are you going to cover for your genetic 
condition inherited from the downline genome that Adam and Eve gave to you by way of a downline connection. That is the inheritance that was passed down to all mankind from the Garden of Eden. How will you get freed from that? How will you get out of that mess? There is no way to get out of it outside of Yeshua. That's why Yeshua says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The only thing you can give is your faith. You give your faith, Yehovah will take it, and he will transfer to you the justness of the Messiah. And that is the truth. So all that being said, friends, let us drive this home from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and following. Let's have a really close look at what Paul is driving at in this passage. We're going over to 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Now here we have Paul writing the following words. Love suffers long. And then he says, love is kind. Then he says, love does not envy. Then he says, love does not parade itself, and it's not puffed up. When Shaul, or Paul, says that Yehovah's love, or Yahweh's love, or Yudevavhe's love, suffers long. What does that mean? His love suffers long. Let's take a look now at Exodus, Shemot, chapter 34, verse 6. And Jehovah passed in front of him, referring to Moses, and he proclaimed. In other words, he announced. He said, Jehovah, Elohim, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. The Hebrew word there is erech, meaning he's long-lasting, he's long-extending, and that is the Hebrew word for length or forbearance or patience or composure or calmness. It's amazing. He has so much of that. Therefore, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, that Jehovah's love suffers long. That is his character and his nature. He doesn't give up. He will never give up. And if you find yourself struggling, even as I will oftentimes struggle myself, and wondering, does he really love me? Does he care for me? Will he give me what I need? The answer is yes, he will. Because he suffers long. From the Hebrew word, erech, which is the word for length, as in something that is very long in the Hebrew language. I would liken it to a road that is very famous in Australia. It's the highway called the Nullarbor in the south of Australia, and there's nothing out there. That's why it says Nullarbor. <laughs> there's no trees. There's no nothing. It is straight for 1,100 kilometers. What is 1,100 kilometers? Oh, it's about 700 miles. I've driven that highway. I know what it is. If you get on the Nullarbor Highway for 700 miles or 1,100 kilometers, and it's nothing but straight 
road. There's not a curve in it. A straight road. That is the idea of Yehovah's suffering love for us. From 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and following, let's have a really close look at what Paul is driving at in this passage. We'll be back after our break. This is Avi ben Mordechai and Real Israel Talk Radio. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi ben Mordechai. If you wish to stay up to date with coming home news and information, simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il. From time to time, we hope to answer questions and comments from our podcast listeners. Send us an email address to questions at cominghome.co.il. Stay with us. We'll be back to continue the second half of this podcast, Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 70. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Welcome back once again to Real Israel Talk Radio, and this is the second half of our podcast. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off just before the break. Okay, with that said, let's go on to the next idea here in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Not just that Jehovah's love is long-suffering, but that Jehovah's love is kind. Now, what exactly does this mean, that his love is kind? If we compare it with its unique Hebrew and or Aramaic alignment, the word that we're going to be given is that of tov or tova. So in Hebrew, when we say the word tov or tova, the idea that's coming across here from 1 Corinthians 13, 4, is that of goodness, kindness, preciousness, or even something that is desirable or it is beneficial. For example, we can go to like Psalm uh, 24, verse 8, in the uh, Septuagint particularly. Good and upright is Jehovah, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. Or we could go to Psalm 33, verse 9, O taste and see that Jehovah is good or kind or it is beneficial, which is the same idea that is written about here in 1 Corinthians 13.4. Taste and see that Yehovah is kind or good, or it is beneficial. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Other passages of the Hebrew text, based on the word tov in Hebrew, that's tet vav vet. Tet vav vet, the word tov, is going to give us the nuance, the uh, the idea of waiting on the name Yudhevave, so that he can show us his kindness. If we don't wait on his name, we're not going to understand what his kindness is all about, 
because we're going to end up ditching the truth before we ever get the opportunity to latch on to the truth, okay? Another one would be Psalm 85, verse 5. For you, Master Yehovah, you are good and ready to forgive. For example, we can quote Psalm 108, verse 21. You, Yehovah, Adonai, the Master, deal with me, address me for your name's sake, because your goodness, because your mercy is kind, or good, or beneficial. Deliver me. Or we could quote the words of the prophet Nahum, Nahum, or Nahum, as sometimes it's said in English, at chapter 1, verse 7. Take a look at this. Yehovah is tov. He's good. That is, Yehovah is kind. It is beneficial. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble or tribulation, and he knows those who trust in him. Yes, he knows even if you stumble and fall a hundred times a day, (laughs) the fact remains he knows that you have a heart for him. We all struggle in so many different ways, but when we receive his kindness, his tov, his pleasantness, and goodness, and the beneficial things he gives to us, then we will know without doubt that he is a God of value. I would like to draw your attention to the Hebrew word yakar, yakar, because that's another one of these ideas that is also found in the Septuagint, in the uh, translation of the Hebrew Scriptures to Greek, the word yakar, which carries with it an idea that uh, something is precious or valuable or noble even. Why would we want to say that? Because, again, the definition for love, as we understand the Hebrew Scriptures, is uh, really something that Yeshua taught in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. And what is that that he's going to say? Than to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, that goes beyond just mere feelings of making me feel good. Love is not about, you make me feel good. Love is about me helping you out of a pit, out of something that is eating you alive. And we learn that concept from 1 John 3.16. By this, we know love, which really means by this, we experience love, because the Hebrew word for know is that of an experience, is that of an intimate, personal relationship with the experience. By this, we experience love in this one thing, that Yeshua laid down his life for us. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And therefore, 
given that he has done that for us, if we will receive that and enter into that and connect with that idea and make it part of who we are, in other words, we are assimilating it as though we eat food, then it's going to change us. And we are able to give out love, and therefore we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is not necessarily referring to something that we do physically, like I'm going to allow myself to die for you physically. I suppose it could include that. But really, we're talking about giving up ourselves and serving another, letting them go first and we go second. This is the idea of what this love is all about. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. There's nothing in that passage or any of the passages dealing with this idea that requires us to clean up our act, get our act together, and get it all cleaned up. And then uh, we'll see if Jehovah really will truly extend grace and mercy and love to us. But we got to first prove ourselves worthy of that love, and we have to earn that love. Because if we don't prove ourselves worthy of the love, and we don't earn that love, then we're going to feel as though we're coming up short and everything that we do, we want to feel like we deserved it because we earned it. I know this has to be touching many of you in your lives. I mean, we grow up with families that uh, are quite demanding sometimes that uh, we have to earn our right to be heard. We have to be worthy enough to deserve some particular thing that we are going to get or receive from uh, a friend, an employer, a family member, uh, you know, things like that. Folks, when we work, we are paid a wage for what we do. Not so with divine love. We are not working for divine love as if to earn a wage. That is not what this is all about. We cannot earn love. We have no capacity to earn love and to be found worthy of His love. Because His love is tov. It is beneficial. And it is kind. And it gives. And it shows us that we have something that cannot be deserved, period. And therefore, when we receive this kind of love, then what do we do with it? We give it out. We let it flow out of us. Hence, Yeshua says, freely you have received, freely give. Let it flow out of you. Okay. The next one in this list in 1 Corinthians 13.4 is that love 
does not envy. Now, the Greek word for envy can give us ideas like jealousy, but this poses a bit of a problem as we read in the Hebrew text that Jehovah does in fact have an attribute of jealousy. So, how is that possible that Paul can say that his love does not envy, and yet Scripture says that his love does envy in the sense that it does show jealousy? As I understand it, it's not the same thing, and I'll explain why. You see, this Greek word, zeloo, it translates as to be jealous, or perhaps the idea of coveting earnestly, or something that is to be zealously sought after. That is, to be envious. But the problem is that Jehovah does, in fact, strive after being jealous for our love. So, how do we reconcile this idea? 1 Corinthians 13.4 says that Jehovah's love does not envy. What it's really saying, based on the Hebrew alignment, is Jehovah's love does not kana. So, what is kana? In contemporary Hebrew in Israel, we use this word a lot. So, if you want to go and purchase something at a store, you might say, ani meaning, I will purchase or acquire this. I'll buy it. So, the idea of kana is that of buying or acquiring something. As Jehovah expresses his love for us, He is expressing it as one who is zealous for us, or striving for us, or moved with zeal for us, in the sense of wanting to buy us, in the sense of wanting to acquire us. Let me show you why this is important. Go to 1 Peter 1, verses 17 through 19. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality, meaning without showing regard for faces, meaning he is not going to be bribed by anything that you can do. Well, a bribe is something that is paid for the purpose of being accepted. And our whole world is filled with this kind of stuff. People bribe people all the time. Everyday news is filled with stories of people who bribe one another, where judges in a courtroom get bribed, where justice is corrupted because of bribery. It's kind of like saying, hey, if I do something for you, I expect you to do something for me. In other words, someone can become captured or someone is bribed or someone has been bought off. Well, if I do this for you, well, then you do this for me. It's expected. Well, that's not love. Love gives 
without expecting anything in return. It's just giving. That's the definition of love in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the New Covenant. So if you call on the Father, who without partiality, without regarding faces, that is, Yehovah cannot be bought because he judges according to each one's work. The work is that of their faith, their trust. And if they don't have faith and trust, they don't make the grade. Plain and simple. So Peter says, on this principle, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, referring to your life here on planet Earth. Then he goes on to say in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, that's all the stuff that has been passed down line as an inheritance that comes to us from Adam and Eve. It's our DNA genetic imprint, our genome of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. In that tree, you have corruption, bribery, aimless conduct, traditions of men. You have all kinds of stuff in there. And it's not good fruit. It's bad fruit, poison fruit, evil fruit. And you don't want it. And we got to get disconnected from it. So we were not redeemed from that tree with these corruptible things. Jehovah cannot be bought off with silver or gold given to him as though he wants it or needs it. Absolutely not. Then it says in 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Messiah. Why? Because he was the one that gave of his life blood, according to Leviticus, Vayikra, chapter 17, verse 11. He is the one that gave his precious soul life for us so that we could be redeemed, exchanging out our corrupted life for his pure and blameless and just holy life as a lamb without blemish and without a spot. So the idea here, my friends, is that Jehovah cannot be bought. So Shaul says that Jehovah's love does not go in the path of being bought off. You can't buy him off. You can't capture him by offering him something of value. Oh, you know, just uh, take my valuable works. Take this, take that. This brings us to Matthew, or Matityahu, 7.21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Master, Master, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You must do his will. Then Yeshua says, Many will say to me in that day, Master, Master, have we not prophesied in your name? I want you to be thinking about 1 Corinthians 13 when we're looking at this statement here. Have we not cast out demons in your name? 
Have we not done many wonders in your name? The idea of wonders is that of pei lamed aleph in Hebrew. That is, have we not done many wonderful things as though doing them in the name of Messiah? What is Messiah, Yeshua, going to say on that day of the judgment? Then he will declare to them, I never experienced you. I never knew you was okay, but in Hebrew, the idea of knowing is that of an intimate experience with him. It's not about some intellectual pursuit as though I know this or I know that. Yeshua says, I'm going to proclaim to them, I never experienced you. Get away from me, you who practice or do no Torah. You're lawless. You do no Torah. And what is the Torah? According to Psalm 119, verse 160, the Torah is the Word. And the Word was made flesh, from John 1.14. So, if lawlessness is not the Word, and we are made kadosh, separate, set apart, and pure, and blameless, and redeemed by the Word. That means we are not, I repeat, we are not lawless. We are redeemed if we receive His redemption. Receiving His redemption breaks us free, breaks us clear from lawlessness, which means you're doing Torah. You're doing Yeshua, the Word. That's the point. So when Paul says that love does not envy, what he is saying is that the attribute of love is not purchased, it is not acquired, because it is not for sale. Love is always given. Love is always on the giving side and not on the receiving side. Therefore, the love of Yehovah towards us is that of acquiring us and buying us on His terms, not on our terms. We cannot offer Him a payment to buy us. He will never oblige a payment from us to Him to gain His love. That's what Paul is getting at. I mean, it's like, are we jumping up and down in front of Jehovah and saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. It's how much money I gave to the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah or on Yom Kippur. I have to buy my way in for an aliyah as they do in Jewish synagogues all over the world. A Jew buys their way in to an aliyah to be called up to the bima to read from a Torah scroll. Yehovah does not accept or receive actions that seek to buy our way into his kingdom. That's why Paul is saying his love does not envy, meaning his love does not go in that path of purchasing us because we are deserving and worthy of being purchased. And that's the command that he has given to us in the Vehafta of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, when he said, you are loved with Jehovah. That's what it says. Go back and listen to the previous podcasts when I was addressing the idea of the Vehafta. We cannot 
by his love, and he doesn't want to acquire and purchase us based on something that we're doing as though you're so great. You think you're so great? I don't think I'm that great. <laughs> I don't. I think, okay, you love me. Okay, well, so fine. You love me. What does that mean? Well, I'm learning what it means by everyday experience. That's why he wants me to talk of these ideas when I sit in my house, when I'm walking on the way or by the way, when I'm lying down, when I'm rising up. And that's why he wants me to bind this idea as a sign on my hand. And that's why he wants it to be as a prayer or judgment between my eyes. Because the word for prayer in Hebrew is the word for a judgment. Because Yehovah has already provided the judgment for me so that I don't have to be judged. The judgment went on to the Messiah, on to Yeshua, which is the teaching of Isaiah 53. He wants me to write it on the doorpost of my house and on my gates. He wants me to do that. He doesn't want me to forget how much he loves me. If you want to enter into the experience of the definition of divine biblical love, then you wake up in the morning and the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth is, you love me. That's the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Okay, we have run out of time. If you want to go to our website, you can go check it out at www.cominghome.co.il cominghome.co.il Go there and have a look around. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. Shalom.